All right, good morning, everyone. Um, we want to welcome everyone to our Bible study once again this morning Our uh, uh, in First Peter. Are we good to go there? Okay, get all the technology uh, together here. We want to, uh, as, as always, we are uh, here. We are in our uh, study through First Peter chapter 2. We've come to these verses uh, in the second chapter, uh, verses 4 through 10. And uh, we have spent, uh, this will be our fifth week in these, these seven verses. And uh, they are really incredible uh, verses. And today we're going to end up our, our study just in these verses uh, with our lesson entitled, Who Am I? Now just very quickly, and I won't spend a lot of time here, because as I said, we've already been in here for four weeks. I want to kind of go back over uh, what we've learned in these um, Verses and the great spiritual privileges that we have as uh, believers. Uh, in verses 4 through 5, we learned that one of the great privileges we have is union with Christ. Uh, Peter says, coming to him as to a living stone, uh, indeed rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual House. Now, we've said this numerous times. It, it isn't just that we worship Christ. It isn't just that we uh, obey Him or honor Him or bow our knee to Him. We are united with Him. That, that sets Christianity apart from any other uh, type of, of religion. We are often heard, we hear this saying, we are in Christ or Christ in us. As Paul said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So we have this incredible incredible privilege of being united with our Savior. The second great privilege that we have, of course, and we saw in verse 5, is access. Peter says, you are a holy priesthood. You see, as a New Testament believer, this is who you are. You have been chosen, you have been cleansed, you have been clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and of course, we've been anointed for service through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And what is the purpose of our priesthood? Uh, Peter told us right there in verse 5, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then, of course, the third great spiritual, uh, great believer's privilege that we have, we found in verse 6, is security. Uh, Peter told us, He who believes on Him, he who believes in Jesus Christ, will by no means, by no means, you will never be put to shame. The fact is, as believers, we don't ever have to worry about being disappointed in Jesus Christ. I, listen, I don't know about you, but I have staked my life on Jesus Christ. I've invested everything in Him. I, I've, put, I've put all my eggs in one basket. I am a father through Jesus Christ. I am a, a husband through Jesus Christ. I, I give my money through Jesus Christ. Everything in my life is all geared around Jesus Christ. I've put everything on Him. And now Peter, through the Word of God, says, you don't ever have to be disappointed, Derek. You're never going to come to a point that you're going to find out that he's let you down because he cannot let us down. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. What an incredible privilege that is as believers. Now, the fourth one we saw last week was affection, verses 7 through 8. Uh, Peter says, therefore, to you who believe, he is Precious. You see, when you come to Christ, when you're united with Christ, we become children of God. And believers are like their father. 
Jesus said in John 8, 42, if God were your father, you'll love me. That is exactly true. Once God becomes our father, we love Jesus. See, that's the bottom line of being a believer. A child of God is like their father. A child of God chooses what their father chooses. A child of God dislikes or or detests what the father detests. And a child of God sees as precious what the father sees as precious. Therefore, a true Christian, one of the the bottom line signs of a true believer is they will always always be marked by a love for Jesus Christ. Now that brings us to verses 9 and 10 and the final two verses in this great passage. Now... Before I read these two verses, I want to back up to verses 7 and 8 and give ourselves a little bit of of context. Let's read verses 7 and 8 again. Peter says, Therefore to you who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were Appointed, And then Peter turns to verse 9, and he begins with the word, but. But. See, what I want you to see is what Peter is doing is he's creating a direct contrast between what he said in verses 7 and 8 about believers, um, I'm sorry, unbelievers, and what he's about to say in verse 9 and 10 about believers. See, he, he's going to say that's how unbelievers are, but that's not how you are. See, that's who unbelievers are, but this is not who you are. So what he's doing here in verses 9 and 10 is he's going to tell us, but as believers, this is who you are. Let's read those verses. Peter says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Wow, what an incredible two verses. Just a short passage, but it tells us who we are as believers. And this is really where I get the title of my lesson today, Who Am I? Because these verses tells us. Now I'm going to talk about these few verses here for just a few minutes. And I'm going to begin here uh, with this, I am not a dog. Now, where in the world would I come up with this? Well, I was thinking this week, have you ever noticed, and it seems more prevalent in our day and culture than ever before, have you ever noticed how people tend to attribute uh, personality traits and characteristics and things, uh, human characteristics to their pets? Uh, I, I see people now pushing their pets around in strollers or, or, or dressing them up in clothes and things like that, right? Well, there's actually a name for this, and it's called anthropomorphism. It's where you attribute human characteristics to, a, uh, to an animal. Now, listen, I'm not anti-pet. I have got a dog. I, I, I threw a picture up there so you could see her. Her name is, is Lily, and, and I find myself at times doing the same thing. You know, I'll look at Lily, and she's sitting there, and her tongue's all hanging out and slobbering all over the place, and her tail's wagging, and she's all happy. And I look at her, and I think, you know, Lily, boy, she's really, she's kind, and she's forgiving, and she's, she's humble, and she's patient, 
and she's happy, and she's gentle. And I, you find yourself thinking this way about, uh, about an animal. And then I remember, now wait a minute, Derek, she's a, a dog. See, the fact is, she does not know or reason or think the way that a human being knows and reasons and thinks. She doesn't prize anything because of its true value. She, she might like something over something else because of how it tastes or, or something like that, but she doesn't see the true value of, of anything. And, and more than that, she never thinks about where she came from. She, she never thinks about why she's here on this planet. She never thinks about where she's going to go when she, she dies. She, she never sits there and, and, and reflects on her identity as a dog. She never thinks about what does it mean in the big purpose of God that, that she was created as a, as a dog. Now listen, don't get me wrong. She is a, a wonderful creation. She is an amazing creation. But she is not a human being created in the image of God. But I am. I am created in the image of God. You see, as a human being, I've been given an incredible gift. And that is the gift of a rational mind. I've been given the ability to think in a way that animals cannot think. I've been given the ability to, to, to see things in ways that animals can never see them. I, I am not only self-aware, I am God-aware. Now here's the question. What am I doing with that gift? What am I doing with that gift? You see, as human beings, we have in front of us an incredible destiny. We are eternal beings, the Bible tells us. And in front of us is either this destiny of spectacular glory or it is a destiny of inexpressible horror. Now, sometimes when you think about that, and, you, and a lot of people, to be quite honest with you, they don't like to think about the big questions because it brings a lot into play that they may not like to think about. So they just get up every day and they just do the same mindless things. They stay busy, they engage in their hobbies, and they never think about their destiny. Because let's be honest, that eternal destiny can press you down with fear and trembling or it can fill you up with joy unspeakable. Now whether it does one or the other really depends on how you answer three questions. Number one, who are you? Number two, how did you get that identity? And number three, what are you on this planet for? What is your purpose here? Let me tell you, Lily, my dog, has never lost one night's sleep thinking about those questions. Never lost a moment's sleep thinking about those types of questions. You see, only humans can ask that question. Only creatures made in the image of God can ask those questions, and by the way, should ask those questions. And that is what we're going to do in today's lesson. We're going to ask those three questions and answer those three questions. You know, and you may say, well, why are you doing it in verses 9 and 10? Well, because it's not often that we find such resoundingly clear answers to life's greatest questions in such a short passage of Scripture. So if you will, let's take a journey for the next few minutes, listen to God's Word, and let's stand in awe 
of what he has to say. Now, our first question is this, who are you or who am I? Well, Peter tells us, first and foremost, you are a chosen race. You are a chosen race. Verse 9, he says this, you are a chosen race. See, now I know that he's talking at this point about the corporate church. But let me tell you, the corporate church is made up of individuals. It's made up of men and women. It's made up of human beings, individuals. Now let me tell you about this chosen race. This race is not racial. See, we think the word, we think about the word race and we immediately think color. We think ethnicity. But this race is not black. It's not white. It's not red or yellow or brown or any other color. So if our color or our ethnicity, what people we come from, is not what gives us our identity, then what does? Well, Peter told us, it's your chosenness. You are a chosen race. You see, Christians are not the white race or the black race. They are the chosen race. And this chosen race is a new people that's pulled out of all colors and all peoples and all nations and all ethnicities. You see, the fact is we have been chosen from among all the races. We have been chosen as individuals one at a time. And we're not, and it's not on the, on the basis. It's not like God says, well, I need, I need so much percentage of this race and so much percentage of that race and so many out of this nation. No. No, it's got nothing to do. It's got nothing to do with belonging to any type of group. You see, this is, your, this is the first part of your identity as a Christian. God chose you. Who am I? I'm chosen. Now, listen, why me specifically? I do not know. I cannot answer that question. I can tell you this, it was nothing of value in me that set me apart above other human beings. It was not, as I just said, it was not because of my race. It was not because of my ethnicity. It wasn't because of my family. It wasn't because of my personality. In fact, it wasn't because of any qualification. I did not earn it. I did not deserve it. I did not merit it. I didn't meet any kind of, of qualifications or take any test or, or anything like that to get it. In fact, listen to me, it happened before I was born. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6 says this, Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him, according to the purpose of His will, and to the praise of His glorious grace. Revelation 13.8 says this, And all who dwell on the earth will worship it, talking about the beast, except everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life. Listen, my name is written in the Lamb's book of life right now. When was it written in that book? Before the foundation of of the world. Listen, if you go back through the Bible, some of you uh, may be thinking, man, this, this idea of God choosing, that, that, that kind of confuses me. But listen, go, th go back through the Bible. God is always choosing. He's always choosing. God chose Abraham, not Lot, to be the father of a nation. 
God chose Sarah, not Hagar, to give birth to the child of promise. God chose Isaac over Ishmael. God chose Jacob over Esau, by the way, and He did that when they were still in the womb. He did that before they were born. God chose Israel over other nations to call His own people. And you may think, well, why did He do that? Well, it tells us in Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8. It says this, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God, and the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. And it was not because you were more in number than any other people. In other words, it wasn't because you somehow qualified that the Lord set His love on you and chose you, for you were actually the fewest of all peoples. Why did God do it? Because He said, the Lord loves you. The Lord loves you. That's why He, he did it. Mark chapter 13, that was in the Old Testament. God is still choosing in the New Testament. It says this, by the way, these are the words of Jesus, for in those days there will be tribulation, and unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those whom He chose, He shortened the days. You see, if you are a Christian, you have been chosen by God. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31, Consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Think about it, is what he's saying. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Why would He do that? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Why did He choose before the foundation of the world? To the praise of His glorious grace. So that He would get all the credit. Not us, not our race, not our ethnicity, not our nationality, not our intellect, not our reason, not our personality, but God. God would get all the glory. Listen, God chose me. What an incredible and encouraging thing to believe and to know in your life. Now, why? Because let me tell you, that choice is eternal. That choice, if it, I, I say it often, if it depended on me, uh, what, what does the old song say? Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We are all prone to just drift away, but He will not allow that to happen. John 10, 8, that's why Jesus says things like this, I give them eternal life and they'll never perish. No one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. Or John six forty. this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life and I will raise Him up on the last day. Who am I? I am Chosen. The second part of our identity that, that, that Peter tells us today is you are a royal priest, verse 9. Now, the thing I want you to notice about being a royal priest is, first of all, you have immediate access to God through Christ. You don't need another human being to, to come between you and God and act as some kind of mediator. You don't need that. Uh, the Bible tells us very uh, click, quick, uh, clearly... In 1 Timothy 2.5, it says, There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. You see, you have access. God Himself has provided that uh, for uh, you. Okay, had a little bit of technical difficulty right here, so let me just go up here. 
All right, I'm going to need Chuck here. Chuck? Yeah, I got white space on my, on my screen here. Yeah, look at uh, slide 57. I'm sorry. Do you see it on yours? Okay. Can you run it up here then? 57? Okay, all right. Um, so 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, I think you got the wrong one. It's 1 Peter 2.9, who am I? Sorry about this, folks. Just got a little bit of a, a technical... That's it right there, 57? Good. Okay, so we're going to have to change up here. So it says, secondly, first of all, you have immediate access, immediate access to God through Christ Jesus. You don't need another man to step in and, uh, and, and try to help you and, and listen to your confession and do all that. No, you can go straight to God through Christ Jesus. The second thing it means is you have an exalted role in God's presence. You are a royal Priesthood. Listen, you've not been chosen just to sit around and fritter away your, uh, your time and do absolutely uh, nothing. If you can change that for me, uh, Janice. You are a priest called to minister to Christ himself and through Christ himself. Listen, all of our life we are in priestly service. Okay? There should never be a time when the, when the priests in the Old Testament went into the temple and they served. They're, they didn't just say, you know what, I, I'm just gonna, I don't want to do this anymore. That was their calling. That was their identity. That was who they are. That is who we are. We are never out of priestly uh, service. Um, what's the third thing that he tells us? He says this, you are holy. If you look at that scripture, the next scripture here on the slide says this, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Listen, we've said it before, you've been chosen by God, therefore you are not of the world anymore. Uh, we often hear in the Bible, we are in the world, but we are not of this world. Go ahead. Uh, look at what Peter says in verse, verses uh, 1 at the very beginning of the letter. He said this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles. In, in uh, 1 Peter 2.11, he says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. His idea here is you are holy. That word holy means set apart. You are not of the world anymore. You are exiles. You are sojourners. You are just passing through. Janice, if you will. So that's who we are now. We have been set apart for God. We live to serve Him. And we share in His character. And let me tell you, if you are not acting holy, if you are not walking in that holiness, then you are actually living out of character. Your identity is to be holy as a believer in Jesus uh, Christ. The third or fourth thing that we have is you are God's possession. You are God's possession. Look at what Peter says in the, in the scripture in verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. He actually says this twice. In verse 10, he says it this way. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You see, this is who we are. We have been chosen by God. 
And the effect of that is that God takes us unto himself as his own uh, possession. In other words, he owns everything about you. Now, we understand in some sense, go ahead, Janice, that everyone is God's possession, right? In fact, God created us all. So we're all his possession. Peter, I'm sorry, Paul says in Romans 9.20, should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? See, we all belong to God in one sense. So in essence, there must be something here that Peter means that's different than that. He must mean there's something special here about believers. And of course, that's, that's exactly what he means. What he means is that you are the ones that God has chosen to spend eternity with. Look at uh, uh, first, uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 16. It says this, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Let me tell you, you are God's possession. You are the one that he has chosen to spend eternity with with. What, what an incredible thing to know. The, the last thing he tells us is you are pitied. You are pitied. Let's look at our verses again. Once you have not received mercy, he said that in verse 10, but now you have received mercy. Now I use the word pitied because in the Greek the word mercy is actually a verb. And I was going to say you are mercied, but that just doesn't have the quite quite the same ring to it. So I just changed that to the word pity. But it's really not a, a bad translation. You see, the fact is, is that God looked down upon us. And he chose us, but he didn't just choose us. He, had, he saw us in our sin. And he saw us in our guilt. And he saw us in our condemnation. And the Bible tells us he had mercy on us. We're not just the objects of his choice. We are the objects of his mercy. I think uh, the, the, the psalmist said this. We, we know the 23rd Psalm. We all, uh, can, most of us can quote it. He says this, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, God didn't just choose me. He didn't just make me a priest. He, 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 he had mercy on me, and that mercy wasn't a one-time thing. The psalmist says, Mercy follows me all the days of my life. Second question. That is who we are. That is our identity. How did we get that identity? Well, let's look at this. The fact is, it's pretty obvious, right? God did all of this. He tells us in verse, uh, verse 9, Him, talking about God, who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You see, God is the one who chose you. God is the one who made you a, a priest. God is the one who possessed you. God is the one who did all of these things. It, it's all God. Now this new identity that we have, this is this marvelous light. We have, we've been called into this marvelous light. And this, part of this marvelous light is who we are as believers chosen a royal priesthood a holy nation have mercy we, we've been pitied by God and how did we get to this point God called us now we turn to the final question what are you here for what is your purpose on this planet several years ago 
I led the youth group here at, at River of Life. I did that for about uh, five years when my, my youngest son uh, was in middle school and, and high school. And I remember one of my first lessons, I'd say probably one of my first uh, half a dozen or dozen lessons, one of those lessons was entitled Purpose. And, and what I did is I, I, I wanted to teach them about purpose. I wanted to teach them what their purpose was here on this earth. And I gave them several examples. And one of the examples I gave them was this. I, I just put up some pictures of different things, and I asked them, what do you think that is? And uh, I did about half a dozen things. And I just, I just picked one of them today to bring in here uh, that we could look at. I asked them, what do you think that is? You see, that thing was created by somebody. It was made, it was built for a particular purpose. Now, you and I may look at it, and, and we don't know what that, what that thing is. And if somebody didn't come out and tell us, if the creator didn't say, hey, this is what I made this for, we may never figure it out. We may, we may put a, a pot in it and put a plant, right? It, it, that's not what it's made for. If you actually go ahead and look at it, this is what's called a rolling pour. It's made for people who have trouble picking up gallons of milk or gallons of orange juice. You can just put it in this thing and, and roll it over and pour it. But see, if, if the builder, if the creator didn't tell us what that was, it would have been very difficult for us to, to, to figure that uh, out. See, the fact is, what I wanted to get across to them is everything has a purpose. Batteries, hammers, nail polish, just, you know, chairs... Uh, you know, everything, this bowl, this, this cloth that sits on this table, everything is made for something. Everything is built for a, uh, a purpose, okay? Now, the question is, what is our purpose? Now, by the way, the opposite of purpose is futility. Futility literally means lack of purpose. It's, it's uselessness. It's like uh, I, I heard somebody say one time that the definition of futility is trying to tattoo a, a soap bubble. That would be the definition of future. It's, it, it literally, you're never going to be able to do it. Now, here's the thing. Did you know that the Bible tells us that apart from God, our lives are futile? Look at this scripture here from Ephesians 4, 17 through 18. This is Paul. He says this, So I tell you this, insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer uh, walk as the unbelievers do in the futility of their thinking. In the futility of of their thinking. You see, apart from Christ, all your thoughts are futile. They have no meaning. They have no purpose. You're just, you're like a mouse on a wheel that just runs every day and every day and you're going absolutely nowhere. It's not until the light of the Spirit of God enlightens us so we have ears to hear. We have eyes to see. We have a brain now that can, can, can see things first, for the first time clearly that we understand what purpose is. Janice. But what about a believer? That's an unbeliever. That's someone who doesn't know God. What about a believer? What, what were we created for? What is our purpose? Well, let me tell you, Peter tells us today very precisely and very clearly what our purpose is, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Listen to me, if you will, if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, if you've been regenerated, born again, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your purpose on this planet is to proclaim the greatness 
of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is a full-time job of a royal priest. Let me say this again. This is a full-time job of a royal priest. Your job is to make the glories of the king known to everybody who will listen. We are created and we are meant to live our lives as Christians for a purpose, not for our own happiness, not for our own glory, not for our own gain. None of those things are, are mentioned, but we are to bring glory to Him. We are to bring glory, honor, renown, praise to His name. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, a verse that we're all familiar with. Paul says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. We are His possession. He has created us. He owns us. And that is our purpose in this life, is to honor Him with all that we do. You know, if you listen to the news today, if you're involved in politics or you stay up, you'll you'll know there's a lot of talk about identity. It seems like everybody in this world is is grouping up into these different identities. I'm this, I'm this, I'm that, I'm with this group. And and you can understand that in some sense, right? There's, There's something innately in us that wants to belong. There's something innately in each of us that's created in us that wants to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And so people tend to, to, to get into these, into these groups. See, that question is a, is a very important question. How do we view ourselves? It, it deserves to be asked, who am I? And that is why we're asking that um, today. Janice? But here's what I want you guys to see. When the Bible addresses this question... It's not concerned at all with whether you're a man or a woman. It's not concerned with your ethnicity, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. It's not concerned with your wealth, whether you're rich or you're poor. See, when the Bible asks this question and answers this question, it's first and foremost concerned not with yourself, but with your relation to God. Galatians 3.28, Paul says this. We're all familiar with it. Can you go back there, uh, Janice? Let me read that. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You see, when the Bible talks about our identity, it first and foremost talks about our relationship to God. It identifies us as our relationship to God. Now listen, the Bible is not saying there's no such thing as men and women. That's not what it's doing. That would be ludicrous. The Bible's not saying there's no such thing as Jew and Gentile. It it understands that. God created us. What he's saying is before all of that, you belong to Jesus Christ. You have a relationship with God. That is your identity. That is who you are. One more, if you will, Janice. So as a Christian, when we talk about our identity, we have to understand, first and foremost, we have to talk about our identity with God, our identity in God. You see, the biblical understanding of self-identity is radically God-centered. Radically God-centered. Now, it has roles for us to play as men and women and other things, but our identity is first and foremost radically God-centered. 
So who am I? I am a God-chosen, God-pitied, God-possessed, God-appointed priest of the King. He has made me for the purpose of making His greatness or His excellencies known. In other words, and I wrote this down, He has given us our identity in order that His identity might be proclaimed to others. Or let me put it another way. God, God made us who we are so we could make known who He is. Let me say that again. God made us who we are so then we could turn around and make known who He is. How do we do that? Oh, we do it in multitudes of ways. We do it when we come to church, and, 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 and hopefully in a few weeks we'll be back in here worshiping together, and we'll be proclaiming the excellencies of who He is. We'll be doing it through our worship. We'll be doing it through our, our teaching. We do it through our singing. We do it through our, our, our preaching. We do it when we hug one another's neck. We encourage one another and exhort one another. We, we do it in our small groups when we, when we get together and we sit around and we talk about what God has done for us and how He's always been there for us. We, we do it in a multitude of ways, depending on our personality and depending on the situation that uh, He has uh, put us into. Janice? So let me give you one example. I ran across this example uh, a few years ago, and I thought I would share it with you, and we'll close with this little story. This, this is a story of a man by the name of, of Doug Nichols. Now, you've probably never heard of Doug Nichols, but he was a, a missionary um, in India. And he, he was over... This, this story, I believe, occurred around 1967. And uh, he's on the mission field. He's, he hasn't been in India too long, and he comes down with tuberculosis. And uh, at that time, to you know, it's contagious disease, so they would put they put all these people in what was called a, a sanatorium, and um, it wasn't the best place to be, but but that's where uh, he was. And of course, tuberculosis comes with a with a lot of coughing and things like that, and and so uh, you tend to be up at night. So he goes into the sanatorium, and while he's there, he decides, you know what. I'm going to make the best use of my time. And so he took some tracts with him. He took some uh, Gospels of John, little booklets with him. And as he was in there, he would try to hand out these tracts. He would ha try to hand out uh, these, these booklets to these men who were in the sanatorium, and nobody would take them. Oh, one thing I forgot to mention, he didn't speak their language at the time. He hadn't yet learned their language. And so he would just communicate with sign language. And so he's trying to hand these books out, and nobody would take them. Nobody liked him. They just thought he was a, a rich American trying to, to spread some weird religion. And so nobody would really have anything uh, to do with him. One night, about 2 a.m., he, he woke up and he was coughing. And while he was up, he looked over and he noticed a, a very frail old man who was trying to get out of bed. And, and, and it turned out he was trying to get out of bed and go to the, go to the restroom. And the man was so frail that, and so weak that he literally could not get out of bed. And so he was not able to go, go to the restroom and do what he needed to do. Well, the next morning, the stench just pervaded that, that area. And the nurse who had to come and clean him up, and everybody was angry at the old man because he had messed himself. And, and even the nurse who, who came, instead of showing him love and, and mercy, she literally slapped him. 
she slapped him across the face because he hadn't been able to contain himself. A, a night or two later, Doug Nichols is again woken up early in the morning and um, he, he's coughing and he looks over and he sees the same old man. And that old man is trying to get out of bed once again to go to the bathroom and once again the old man couldn't do it and he, and he just collapsed back into bed crying. And Doug Nichols got himself out of bed and he went over and he picked up that old man in his arms and he took him to the bathroom, which was basically just a, a hole in the floor. And, 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 he, and he let the man do what he needed to do and he took him back to the bed and he laid him down in the bed. And the man literally grabbed his neck and kissed him um, as, he was, as he was leaving. The next morning, Doug Nichols goes back to sleep and the next morning he's awoken by somebody shaking him. And the man, again, he didn't speak their language, but the, the man that woke him up was saying, basically, I want one of your tracks. I want one of those gospels that you were giving away. And throughout the day, as, as more and more people heard about what he had done, they would come and make motions, give me a track, give me a, a gospel. Let me tell you, here's the point. You don't need words to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. You see, we proclaim the excellencies of him who called us, in fact, much more with our words, with our actions. We do things that other people will not do. We, we show mercy the way our Father shows mercy. We love the way our Father loved us. In fact, can I tell you that, um, that many times people are more eager to listen when you act out the excellencies of God than they are just when you speak them out. Because I know a lot of people say, you know, I'd love to proclaim His excellencies, but I just don't have the words. That's okay. You got the actions. Use your actions. Use your words. Use whatever God has given you in your life, your talent, your personality, whatever it may. Use that to proclaim the greatness of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous life. Listen, that is why you're here. That is why your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world so that you're here at this time, at this place, in, in, in this appointed time to proclaim the greatness of God, to proclaim the, proclaim the greatness of Jesus Christ. Next week, uh, we're going to do something just a little bit different. For those of you that know, I normally take a book of the Bible, as we're doing with First Peter, and I just, I just go all the way through it. But from time to time, I will stop and do something different if, if, uh, if, if, if um, circumstances necessitate that or dictate that. Next week, we, of course, there are two things next week that are going to be on our mind. Number one, of course, is the, is the coronavirus, COVID-19. We all are thinking about that, reading the headlines. That's all on our mind. But next week is Easter. Next week is the resurrection. And we're going to be thinking about that. So next week, I'm going to stop. And the title of my lesson is COVID-19 and the Resurrection. And you may think, well, Derek, what in the world does COVID-19 and the resurrection have to do? Let me tell you, they are inextricably linked. They are, they are so tightly linked with one another, and I want to show you that next week. What does COVID-19 tell us about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, as we always do, 
for your wonderful, wonderful word. You didn't leave us comfortless. You gave us the Holy Spirit, but along with the Holy Spirit, you gave us these letters. And, and we are, you're always there ready to talk to us if we'll just sit down, open it up, and read it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for my identity. Thank you for all the believers that are listening today. Thank you for their identity. Now, I ask you, Holy Spirit, for boldness. I ask you for boldness in this, in this time where the world needs hope, in this time where the world needs good news. I pray for boldness, that we will boldly proclaim the excellencies of our Father God. Because the fact is, we're all going to meet Him one day. We're all going to meet Him as the, as the cornerstone, the, the, the rock of our salvation, or that rock of judgment. Help us in this time, Lord, to proclaim Your name. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much.